from the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with Ed Sports TV ratings. Joining me on the High Desert Hotline for this episode are Richard Deitch of Sports Illustrated fame and Eric Jackson, who is a tech and media investor and uh, has recently, or maybe for a while, been keeping an eye on the sports media world and ESPN in particular. And uh, this episode is, I guess, brought to you by Columbia University, since both Richard and Eric have a Columbia connection. Richard, welcome back. And Eric, welcome to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Thanks, Robert. Good to be here. Uh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. So um, I mostly came up with the topics for this podcast before the O.J. Simpson uh, parole hearing, and uh, I'm definitely not judging anyone's interest level in, uh, in O.J. I watched the uh, Emmy Award winning People versus O.J. on FX and the Ezra Edelman Oscar winning O.J. Made in America on ESPN. Uh, but with the parole hearing, I was sort of an outlier. I didn't really have any interest. I'm going to let that siren pass, Richard. It's natural uh, sound for you, Robert. Yeah, you I, should I, enjoy it. I, I am enjoying it. I, I just wanted to, to not talk over it so the, uh, so the listeners could enjoy it in, in full. So uh, I had no interest in uh, watching yesterday's hearing, but I was completely fascinated by, uh, at least on my Twitter feed, how enchanted uh, everyone seemed to be. Uh, so you first, Richard. What are your thoughts on uh, why we are so captivated with the OJ saga? Well, I mean, this isn't any kind of uh, brilliant analysis, but we're talking about the one of the most famous people in America based on notoriety. I could pretty much make, I think, a legit argument that he's the most famous person in prison today. His fame obviously extends beyond um, his criminality to the athletic world, where he was a Hall of Fame football player, so he had initial fame there. He, his fame crosses over generations, but most importantly... He is the subject of a murder case that is a focal point in the history of this country when it comes to race relations. And the number of people who watched that trial, the number of people who were impacted by that trial and subsequently after that from the civil trial and everything else is just immeasurable. And so he represents a lot of different things for a lot of people from the idea that somebody got away with double murder to in other communities, the idea that he represented that uh, justice was finally served against police brutality, specifically to the LAPD in the 90s. So I think the interest exists, Robert, because about a generational figure who is as famous as any person walking, uh, I shouldn't say walking, but any person, any person that you could name in America he, it, it does not surprise me at all, the interest. The only thing I would say, and I, as we're taping this, I saw some of the numbers that you posted from linear television viewership, right. uh, was I would have expected it to be a little bit bigger. Um, because I don't underestimate the interest in Simpson. And when anybody puts on Twitter or Facebook and says, no one cares, no one's interested, why are you airing this? It's just, it's, um, it's an opinion not based in the reality of our times. This is easily one of the uh, uh, the most polarizing, notorious uh, figures in America, and I think that's where the interest lies. Right. Uh, okay, so Eric, as a, as a Canadian, first of all, are you interested? And, and then whether you are or you aren't uh, in general, like uh, what do you think of, uh, of your neighbors to the South's interest in, uh, in the OJ? Well, I... I... I agree with everything Rich said, but I, I don't think it's a Canadian versus American thing. I, th I think probably it's more uh, age-dependent uh, uh, because I think for, for me and for I think anyone over a certain age, um, they remember exactly where they were when the Ford Bron Bronco chase was happening. Right. And it was just tra transfixing. And, uh, you know, from that point on for the next subsequent months, you know, I think the, everybody was just riveted to uh, the case and because it, it combined uh, celebrity and sports and 
you know, murder and everything all in one. And so I, I just think and now everyone who was there and who watched that all pre-Twitter, uh, we're all approaching Fox News uh, viewer age. And uh, so we're, we're all still watching linear <laughs> TV probably. And so I, I'm not surprised at all that these uh, network executives are programming for us and uh, uh, gave it, you know, I, the, the weirdest thing I saw yesterday on Twitter was some someone from a control room in New York showing, I think it was like nine or twelve channels all live, simultaneously airing this parole hearing. So, um, you know, I didn't watch it myself, but you know, followed along at Twitter and understand why others did. Right. Okay. So, so moving on uh, to sports. So, I, I was, I was extremely uh, interested in the uh, in the ratings for uh, uh, NBA Summer League. Uh, and and what I perceive is a general interest in uh, in free agency, um, and it does seem to be that the NBA is gaining traction as a as a year round league. Uh, so first for you, Eric, uh, do you agree with that? And uh, and if so, how significant is that for the NBA and its TV partners? Well, what's difficult, it's undeniable, the, the popularity. What's difficult to ascertain is whether this is just a Lonzo ball phenomenon or it is something broader. Um, but, you know, even if it is uh, Lonzo-specific, um, you know, that's not a bad thing at all for the NBA. I mean, uh, obviously all sports are star-dependent, and we know the effect of Tiger on golf's ratings, you know, with and without him, and and you know the effect of Michael Jordan on the NBA and so forth. So I think uh, it's it's certainly uh, <laughs> it causes you to sit up and take notice when these like meaningless summer uh, late night um, exhibition games are are drawing whatever eight eight hundred thousand viewers yeah, well, or whatever one, it was. One and, of them was even over a million. Yeah. So it's it's. The, the NBA is on a roll, uh, you know, coming out after this high interest free agency period. Um, it, the the uh, year-round attention is certainly there. And, um, you know, the younger demographic uh, numbers compared to other sports leagues uh, continue to shine. So uh, this is more good news for, for the league. Yeah. Okay. So, so, Richard, same question for you, but I'm also interested uh, from, from, from your take on uh, how, much, how much credit – uh, should LeVar Ball get, if any, and uh, how should that credit be given? Uh, LeVar Ball should get a lot of credit for the Summer League uh, viewership, in my opinion. And you can sort of parcel out the credit however you want. The fact is, there's massive interest in his son because of his pre-draft tour throughout many different um, media venues. There's certainly interest in the fact, too, that Lonzo looks like he's going to be a terrific player. He's a number two pick in the draft. He's going to one of the premier teams in the NBA when it comes to uh, notice, notoriety, and obviously market size. So a lot of what Lonzo brings to the table is based on Lonzo. But you're just um, you're fooling yourself if you don't think part of the summer league ratings interest is a direct ball promoting his son. Uh, you know, promoting his son a lot of times in sort of absurd over-the-top comic terms, but still that promotion exists. Um, Eric hit on this as well. The NBA is obviously a hot league. It has certainly turned into a 365-day league. And I think part of the reason, too, in addition to the Lonzo interest, why Summer League was uh, really over-indexed itself this year in terms of viewership is we had a really, really interesting offseason from the Chris Paul acquisition in Houston to Paul Paul George... Um, moving to Oklahoma City, to a lot of just, you know, free agency moves, the Celtics making their deal with the Sixers in the draft. That's the thing that the NBA, you know, it's not like sort of it's sort of designed this way. You can't predict who is going to go where. But they've now set up, the system is now set in place where, to me, it's very much like the NFL in that there's just a gigantic amount of interest in these um, non-game events. You know, whether it's the draft or, in this case, whether it's the free agency period. And the sport, as Eric pointed out, it's so young, which means it's very social friendly. And trades and free agent pickups, this is the stuff that uh, the 25-year-old, 30-year-old obsessed NBA fan loves to talk about on their Twitter feed or Facebook feed or their individual blogs. So the sport is really, really set up, I think, 
for a nice run. So I think it was a combination of factors with, in my opinion, the number one factor being the massive interest in Lonzo Ball and the fact that ESPN um, in particular pushed Laker games uh, and NBA TV pushed Laker games to the fore as they smartly should have. Right. Okay, so st- sticking with the uh, the NBA, um, I've heard a lot of chatter lately uh, about ESPN's uh, NBA rights deal and, and and Turner's, but but most of the criticism seems to be, uh, you know, lobbed at ESPN, uh, and th- and that criticism is uh, that criticism is that they spent way 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 too much money uh, on on the NBA rights, and not all of that is coming from uh, Clay Travis and uh, Bill Simmons. And so, Richard, do you think NBA, uh, ESPN paid too much for its NBA, NBA rights? And uh, if so, how should ESPN have spent that money? Well, Robert, I can't answer this question because I've given up ESPN. I called my cable carrier after they've just done too much politics. And so I, I don't even, I'm not even familiar with the channel anymore. Does it exist? Uh, in ser- seriously, um, listen, like on the face of it, did they pay too much? I mean, yes because the numbers are outrageous, but, and I would see to people like Eric who are far more financially savvy than me, step back for a second and you can't really put a value on the rights deal. So I can make the same counter argument that they didn't, they they got a bargain because without that rights deal, ESPN as an entity is entirely changed entity that essentially is a football network. So they have to have the NBA. It's just too important content so yeah i mean like if you look at it on sort of a dollar by dollar cost the cost of the rights deal seems exorbitant given the increase from before given what some of the other rights deals are right but i think without the, the way i would look at it is without an nba rights deal without the contractual stuff for highlights and all the auxiliary programming that goes with it that network's appeal to a consumer is so significantly reduced, and particularly to consumers under 40, that I just think you have to go in and all in on what the cost is. What would be interesting to me, and this would be no disrespect to baseball, which obviously is a great sport, particularly regional, but if ESPN wants to, in the future, make sort of decisions on rights deals, they have to overspend for the NFL and the NBA and probably their college football package and then quite frankly anything else can be cut and reduced so maybe you don't bid the high bid on the nba i listen i'm a tennis person i've covered it for many years i love it you give that stuff up if it's a question of like you gotta save money because the disney charter uh, because the disney bosses are saying x so uh, i'm not trying to couch the answer like on face yes they probably overspent the reality is if they don't have that deal they are not espn that's right. how I would look at it. Right. Okay, Eric, uh, I think uh, you can go as uh, as deep on this as you want because uh, I think you can add some uh, gravitas to it that uh, I just can't add as far as the analysis. So I'm, I'm very interested to hear what you think on the topic. Well, I, I would look at it just from, uh, you know, from, from, from the Wall Street uh, investors who are looking at Disney and ESPN obviously drives – you know, stirs stirs the drink at Disney because right. you're, you're ta- ESPN is responsible for basically half the profits of Disney, um, and so uh, the reason why Disney stock has fluctuated so much in the last couple of years is just been on concerns about the future of ESPN. And I think I think what they would you know Wall Street investors would would look at is here's ESPN, its main channel. I haven't seen the 2017 SNL Kagan numbers, but it's got to be pushing like eight bucks per sub right. per month. That, that they're charging cable and satellite um, operators to carry that channel versus FS1 is, I think, at a buck 20. So eight bucks sounds versus about, yeah, a buck, sounds about right. Eight bucks versus a buck 20. What, what are the two most popular sports in America today? I think undeniable NFL and NBA. So, it, it, you know, if I'm a consumer and I'm going to be paying eight bucks versus a 120, I, I would expect I'm going to get some NBA games and some NFL games on that eight buck channel. Right. If they didn't, if they didn't have the NBA, I think that you know that sets in motion a bunch of questions when they go back to have their continuing discussions with various cable companies and satellite companies. You know, why exactly are we paying this eight bucks to you guys every month? You know, what what is the what is the what's the value proposition here for our customers? So I, I think for sure, you know. 
did they? What did they overpay? I mean, you know, if you, if you listen to the critics, two hundred million a year, two hundred million a year in 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 the grand scheme of a business, ESPN, which I think does about ten billion a year in affiliate revenues and probably at least another four billion a year in advertising revenue. That's a fourteen billion dollar a year business, and we're talking two hundred million here. It, it, it was easily worth it for Skipper and the rest of the management team to do that deal. You know, and now, you know, now FS1 is facing questions about why its on-air personalities are spending too much time talking about it about the NBA. I mean, it's this is brilliant. If I'm in Bristol, you know, so so Richard, I'm gonna I'm gonna toss that one to you. I, I found those discussions very interesting, both both in terms that you know how how it how it got out, and and in how people reacted to it. Uh, what are your general thoughts on uh, on uh, uh, you know, Skip Skip Bayless talking NASCAR. Yeah, it's it's interesting. By the way, that was, that was I think that was a pretty uh, astute analysis by Eric on sort of just understanding why a place like ESPN has to have the NBA. I would say this, and obviously, you know, when I write my stuff, I'm not always looking. I, I'm not the sports business guy. I'm much more of a kind of, for lack of a better word, like sort of consumer based. Sure. And where you could always cut is people. And that frustrates the hell out of me as a journalist, and a lot of my friends, obviously, at ESPN were cut. But th- th- there's always a place to cut if you want to justify spending on a sports rights deal. And when you cut 100 people, do the labor, do the cost of the benefits, and there's always ways to get and recoup money. All that said, um, I am suspect in that report. The report was by Mike McCarthy. I, I, don't, Mike, I know Mike McCarthy. Um, he does not, I don't believe he would put out false information. All of us can get spun and played, but there's something about that that just strikes me as a little bit off as a business proposition because Eric Shanks has to understand and know that even if you want to push your properties on your debate shows, he's smart enough to understand that you can't do debate shows about, you know, let's do Jimmy Johnson versus uh, Kevin Harvick for a half hour. You're done. You have no chance of, of on a general interest sports network rating with that kind of stuff in the same way. And again, I grew up as a baseball fan. You, you can't do Mike Trout versus uh, Andrew McCutcheon because eventually nationally you're going to lose on that. It's a regional sport for the most part. So I, I believe where I believe the report probably has some truth in my opinion is UFC. That is a right deal. That's very important to Fox. You look at FS one's programming, look how much at UFC is on there. They've tried to own that space. And generally speaking, I think they've done very well for their partners in pushing that product. And so I have no – and UFC is notorious, their management, for being pretty strong-arming when it comes to media stuff. Just look at the stuff that Dana White has done with specific reporters, et cetera. So where that strikes me as being maybe some truth to it is UFC telling its television partner, Fox, hey, you know, we want you to be talking about our sport way beyond McGregor Mayweather. We want you to discuss this on your – debate shows. We want you to be pushing this. Um, I don't doubt that, that they want NFL talk, but Fox is an NFL rights holder. They're certainly yeah. going to get that. But the, the, I'm a little suspect on some of the lower sports that Fox has. Um, where this report may end up being true or not true, what I would sort of just tell people who are listening to this, pay attention in September and October how much those knucklehead debate shows talk about Fox's college properties. It's easy to talk Michigan, Ohio State. That's yep. easy. Yeah. I'd be very interested to see if let's even forget about Bayless's show. Let's see if like that new morning show with Nick Wright and Chris Carter start doing segments on Big Twelve games that right. literally has a very, very small um niche based interest in the southwest. You know, let's see if um Colin Coward uh, you know, starts talking about um games that are, are gonna appear on F S one that are very regionally centric i'm not talking about alabama versus x you know i'm talking about um you know whatever like like whatever whatever fox game that's not maybe the number one game but you know the number two game washington versus washington state that that would be that'd be interesting to me you start seeing more of that kind of stuff then maybe there's some smoke there but i'm a little suspect because you you could not have brought in guys like bayless and coward pay them the exorbitant fees they're paying um Bringing in Horowitz, who was their protector, and even though you fired him, you, you've already said your editorial philosophy is the same. You know what these guys are. You, you can't 
you cannot expect Skip Bayless, and everybody already knows what I think of guys like Bayless. You cannot expect a guy like that to come in and start talking, uh, you know, uh, war and VORP and the sabermetrics of baseball. It's, it's not in his skill set. So that's why I was a little suspect of that. And then finally, if I'm going to connect the dots as a journalist, who could have uh, who could have pushed that? Well, maybe someone who's uh, got an interest in playing some games with Eric Shanks. I can I can totally get the uh, Fox executives wanting wanting the their on-air talent to talk more about properties they own the rights to how, however that works but what I what I the part of the story that I that I couldn't embrace was you know sort of the angle of stop talking about the NBA um, that that just didn't ring, ring true to me as a, a as a reasonable thing to ask those people to do whoever they are not just Bayless uh, and I'm just curious as uh, to your thoughts on that well, I think the thing I would say about that is, um, and we've already discussed this on the podcast, is just that how can you avoid the NBA? It's it's the second it, – it, either college football or the NBA is the second most popular sport in the country, and a lot of that would depend on the region you are in. They'd answer the question either college football or the NBA. Yeah. So if these, these debate shows are set up uh, on a national network to talk about national topics, there's a reason why it's the same – rotating, revolving discussion of LeBron, Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, Dak Prescott, is Danny Ainge a good GM or not? You know, in some cases at Fox, you know, let's blame LeBron James for Russian spying and cyber uh, security, you know, whatever they come up with for that, for that week. But there's a reason for that. You have to try to appeal, if you're those shows, obviously, to a national audience because you're already against it with ESPN, who has a gigantic advantage of, against you in terms of um, in terms of, you know, 30 plus year head start and all that and viewer behavior that hasn't necessarily shifted. So getting back to the sort of the idea that these hot takers are going to have to talk about sports that Fox owns. I think there are some places where it obviously is a natural fit like the NFL, which makes sense and big time college football when Ohio state or Michigan or another big 10 school is playing in national-level games, you can talk it. Right. UFC, you know, McGregor play, fights Mayweather. As ridiculous as an event it is, you can talk it because the country's talking about it. But it, it, is, it will not be successful business to only promote the products that you own. Multiple reasons, which again is why I am a little suspect at that report because I think if you've been a programmer as long as Eric Shanks has, you understand and know full well that you can't spend 30 minutes on one of these shows discussing NASCAR. Right. You're just, you're not the audience for the, the audience for NASCAR isn't watching that show to start with. And you will end up alienating the small audience that you already have. That is not coming. From that. Yeah. I think, I, I think it was with, uh, with that, with Paulson who runs the uh, great sports media I had this conversation on Twitter and, you know, I think there's a reasonable debate to be had whether Fox, or, you know, should be doing those kind of shows, uh, and and uh, I, I think that that's a good argument to have. But but once a decision is made to be doing those shows, uh, you know, with a you know whatever the universe is of people who watch those kind of shows, you know, I don't know whether it's you know a, a million or five million or nine hundred thousand, but it's not it's not a huge universe of people who watch those shows to begin with. And so if you're going to do those kind of shows to, to not talk about M the NBA just seems crazy to me. Yeah. I'd be curious to think what Eric thinks. I mean, I think everybody, you know, who's listening here or who's read me sort of knows where I come from, but Eric, you know, you're not covering these guys on a daily basis. Do you, if you look at sort of the business and the potential return and investment, what, what is the value proposition in talking about some of these other sports that Fox owns, which obviously is great for the rights holders, but you do run the very serious risk of alienating the already small audience that's coming there, not for that product. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, th I think also just the NBA being, uh, you know, five players on a team, you know, you, you seeing those people identifying with them and their personalities, the Steph Curry's, the LeBron's, whatever, it just lends itself to so many kinds of discussion points that, you know, even if, uh, even if the NBA wasn't as popular as it was, you know, I, I think it still would lend itself well to that type of format. I think the most interesting thing, you know, to me, I, I love a good conspiracy theory, uh, Richard, is that, 
you know, the, the, the idea that the UFC or its owners, WME, IMG, you know, potentially leaked, leaked this info out. Because I think, I think what you have there that's interesting is that uh, I, I think many people believe that that was an overpay on, on their part. Uh, for them to buy buy the the UFC from Fertitta, and Definitely. you know part of their calculus was that they were going to uh, sign a much more lucrative uh, sports rights deal, and you know maybe upwards of like four hundred million and a year versus what they're getting now from Fox, and so those discussions are are obviously coming up or are going to be happening soon, and I I think that's going to be a tough ask, and I think that. You know, in in the context of what we were just saying about ESPN and all their various sports rights deals, I mean, if anything, they're looking to get rid of stuff. They're not looking to take on stuff, and I, I'm not convinced that they're going to be a buyer uh, for UFC's rights or WWE's. And so, um, you know, maybe you know WME knows that, and you know, they, they want to gin up a little uh, a little angst uh, amongst the the Fox folks. Uh, to to hopefully get, get them uh, you know to bid up higher than they are going to to be bidding for in what might be a kind of a sole bidder type of case. So uh, you know th- it wouldn't surprise me that that kind of scenario playing out behind closed doors. That's a very interesting. That's interesting that Eric, yeah, ahead. I was going to say uh, Robert. Just one thing is that Eric just uh, brings up that's really interesting is if you would have asked me two three years ago and maybe you, you two would have said the same, I would have said ESPN is going to be all in on UFC. Look at the demos of the sport. Super hot, um, you know, personalities that cross over like Ronda Rousey, et cetera. Now I would bet big that they're not going to bid big. Maybe they throw uh, some kind of minimal bid just to sort of get into the conversation. But I totally agree with Eric. I, I don't think UFC has nearly the potential television buyers they once had, you know, unless obviously somebody comes out from behind the scenes that we're not aware of, like Turner or USA, but I, I think the dream of a Fox um, ESPN bidding war is done, and UFC has to know that. The interesting question for me is Eric Shanks obviously is a fan of UFC. He's a very point person on that deal, but he's not a dumb guy, and he has to know that um, the ratings for UFC um, are not anywhere near a height right now, and they've obviously lost one of their biggest stars in Ronda Rousey, probably will not fight again. So, that's, you know, we all know 21st Century Fox has basically endless money, but that's one that they're going to have to think about uh, because I don't think the property is, again, I'm not saying it's not a great property. It is, but it's not the sizzling hot property it was, in my opinion. Eric, anything to add on that? Well, I mean, just I mean, to go back to some to the sports rights discussion, um, you know, I, I – um, Something Richard touched on before was, um, you know, what's going to happen uh, coming up in, in, you know, in future negotiations that ESPN has, and might they get rid of some sports, um, you know, in the context of cutting headcount and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, one of one of the interesting things I, I find when I look at, you know, if you if you go back about a month ago, John Oran uh, had the had this great piece on, um, you know, ESPN, at, you know, and, and um, you know. From a, it was more from a financial perspective and touched on a bunch of issues and criticisms that they faced. But one of the great charts he has in there is sort of all their sports rights yeah. uh, and when they're due to come up and so forth. And you know, one of the challenging things that uh, I think they're, they have to face is that um, beside, besides the NFL, NBA, and college football, I mean, there's, there is stuff that you can get rid of coming up. But it's not expensive stuff in, term, in terms of sports rights. I mean, you can get rid of the Australian Open in tennis, you know, in uh, in, in, a, in a few years from now. You can get rid of some golf. You can get rid of IndyCar. But it's not going to end up being a lot uh, annually in terms of savings from sports rights. So um, I think baseball is interesting because it is a big-ticket item at $700 million a year. But, um, you know, after some conversations I've had with you, Robert, on, on, on Twitter, um, you know, I, I'm not so sure about um, that because, um, you know, I, I just wanted to share some numbers with you guys. Um, when, when I looked at it, you know, you're, you're, what the new deal that, that ESPN now has with Major League Baseball as of a, you know, a couple months ago is they agreed to kind of cut their own in-house production of baseball tonight, put on intentional talk from MLB. Um, I think it's half an hour a, a, a day um, off season, an hour a day yeah. full season. So, 
it, you know, if you add up the numbers of, of hours per year that ESPN is generating from baseball, you got 100 games, about three and a half hours, let's say, plus an hour of baseball tonight lead into that. So that's 350 hours a year. And then the intentional talk stuff is, adds up to another 260 hours. So you're, you've got, you're paying $700 million for basically 710 hours of baseball on that network. Now, UFC or, or WWE, for that matter, they're currently generating, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 200 hours a year in, 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 in um, stuff. So, and, and, and they're hoping to get $400 million a year. You know, so you're talking about basically double the cost per hour of, you know, to, to pay for one of those types of sports versus baseball. So you know, from that perspective, I'm, you know, I'm not so sure – uh, the ESPN just doesn't kind of stick with the status quo, let some of this kind of smaller stuff like golf or tennis fall off um, and just hope to, you know, make up the rest on internal cost cuts and and uh, on generating new revenues from things like skinny bundles or yet to yet to be launched uh, direct to consumer services. OK, so I, I was going to ask uh, later in the podcast uh, to, to play the parlor game of uh, what what rights won't ESPN uh, make serious bids on next time around. And, uh, it, it, and it sounds like, uh, Eric, your answer to that question is on big tech, on big ticket items, you're, you're not sure there, there is anything that they have currently, uh, that, that they wouldn't make a bid on, but on some of the smaller ticket items, you, you could see them letting it, letting them go. Do I have that right? Uh, that's right. I mean, I, th- I think you got to keep the big ticket stuff because that that's what drives the eyeballs. I mean, they, they have a lot of college football, um, you know, so maybe you let the BYU college football contract run out. But that's, you know, that's not going to be expensive. And, and they have a lot of other college football stuff that's continues to be tied up, uh, you know, in some cases more than a decade into the future. So I think they kind of, you know, they've made, they've made their bed now. And I, I think they're going to continue to lie in it. Right. Richard, what's your bet? What, what will uh, what what won't ESPN make serious bids on, if anything? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think everything Eric said makes sense. Like I, to me, I don't see them, even though the the cost is low. I, like I don't see them going for the indie series again. I feel like that's just not part of any of their content strategies, including online. Um, you know, they've really made an investment in tennis, and I know Skipper likes it, um, but. You know, it wouldn't surprise me when those deals are up that they get out of it, although I think they can get some great deals on that because I don't think there's any other network in the country other than the Tennis Channel that would really want or go big on that inventory. To me, uh, and as I said earlier, I don't think they bid big on UFC at all. The big one to me is baseball. I don't know. I should know off the top of my head when it's up. I don't. Uh, you know, obviously we could all look that up. Um, that's the one that's interesting to me. Uh, Eric makes a very good case as to why you – uh, would still have it. There's obviously a case to be made in terms of it's still a massive sport in this country regionally, even if like every national game doesn't do incredible business. You know, every major city, which, you know, extrapolated, has ESPN on its cable carriers, um, has a baseball involved. So, you know, I don't know if you want to totally get out of the baseball business, but I think that's one they got to look at um, because it, Fox has the World Series. Um, you know, Turner has the, the, the championship series. And so it's always feels a little bit like a Monday night football situation in baseball for ESPN is that they have this contract. They pay a lot of money for it. They don't get the best product at the end of the year. And now they've already told you in terms of their decision-making that they've cut back on their, uh, baseball tonight franchise, which was their signature franchise. They're essentially leasing, uh, MLB tonight programming or MLB network program, I should say. So that would be the one. Um, if I had to bet, like life on the line, I, I bet they would stay in baseball somehow. But if they got out of the baseball business in terms of the rights deal, now they never really totally get out of the baseball business because they still cover it on SportsCenter. They still talk about it on all their different shows, including ESPN Radio. That's one I don't think they'd ever get out of, by the way. I think they'll keep the ESPN Radio contract for a long time. Uh, but that would be the one to watch for me. Would they give up the baseball game? contract would they give up like that sunday night baseball package and that wednesday night baseball package right right 
Okay, uh, move, moving on. Um, so one of the things, and, and, and Rich, I'm going to let Eric go first here because because between like now and and next March, you're, you're going to get this question five thousand times, I believe. But uh, <laughs> one of the things I struggle with is is how to how to think about success uh, for new studio shows that are that are getting launched, you know, in the current TV environment and. Uh, you know, since, since even thinking about this topic, I listened to a podcast and where I, I think it was, uh, Ryan Glasspiegel at the, at the big lead was talking about like, how would the, uh, how would the, the new, um, the new Mike Greenberg show be, be received? What would success look like? And, and he, his, his, uh, his take is, you know, they cause so much turmoil to the, uh, successful Mike and Mike franchise franchise uh that the greenies the and they're paying greenies so much money that it has to do better uh than what was there before or it's a failure and um there's something about that that thinking that that uh i naturally kind of want to push back on uh so eric I'm, I'm interested to see how you feel about it and, and if maybe you can unpack you know what it is i'm resisting here well first of all i mean like if how long has greenberg and golick been on isn't it like you know, it's well over a decade now, isn't it? Yeah. 18 years. Like, yeah. like, like if you had told me 18 years ago that these two were going to go on a, on this 18-year run where, you know, they've – I don't know what they're, exactly the ratings have been, but they, they, they've always – I never watch it, but <laughs> it always surprises me how popular it is. And Golik was pretty – you know, was unknown before – before going on that show. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said to, you know, going to bed at night, watching sports center, turning it off and then, you know, clicking it on in the morning. And, um, I think that, uh, I think that they can continue to surprise and continue to kind of, you know, uh, whether it's Greenberg or whoever, you know, any new person that they would put up there, they could do decent numbers. Now, all of ESPN's ratings, just like you know, just like any media company right now, we're all you know, everybody's suffering from this you know uh, lack of attention uh, because we have so many more entertainment options than we yeah. used to. Most notably, just looking at our phones. And so, uh, you know, there's this con- going to be this continued downward pressure on all these ratings, uh, no matter what, uh, as far as I can see, or as, as far as I believe, and I think most people, most investors believe. So, um, you know. Being moderately down is sort of going to be the new up, I think, for a lot of these shows. And I, I think Greenberg will probably hold hold his own and do better than than we expect. Even though I, I don't plan on watching it, I, I I would be much more nervous if I was Eric Shanks looking at uh, you know spending money on setting Nick Wright and Chris Carter up in a in a New York studio um, with no lead in from the night before. Yeah, I I, I don't know how they. I, I think that's much more uh, a worry uh, for you know a sports exec than than the new Greenberg show. Uh, I agree, and I, I am I am with you that uh, that a little bit uh, down is 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 maybe the new up. Uh, you know, particularly like when the the year over year declines are generally probably like in the the ten to fifteen percent range. Uh, I would see flat a, as a win uh, personally, but but Richard, um, you know, along the lines of 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 uh, what Eric was saying, um, I had a, a, a little bit of a back and forth with a Jim Miller on Twitter uh, about SC six, and I had tweeted out that the SC, you know, that I thought, you know, based on what I was seeing, I thought SC six was doing fine because largely it's a little bit down, uh, you know, versus what was going on before. And uh, and Jim's comment was, well, are you when you say it's doing fine, are you talking about the ratings or the show content? And uh, I was clearly only talking about the ratings. So I'm interested to, to get your thoughts, Richard, on, on uh, it, you know, if the ratings actually look okay, um, what are the pressures on ESPN as far as the type of content that uh, is being, on, being put on with SC6? Well, yeah, first of all, I enjoyed that. Anytime I see uh, Twitter fighting, I support it <laughs> wholeheartedly. And I like seeing Jim Miller get a little bit of stick because, you know, <laughs> usually having his butt kissed by Simmons and Brian Curtis and <laughs> Connor Shell and everybody else, even though, he's, no. even though he's a longtime friend of mine. So I like seeing that. Um, yeah, to get that, you know, I mean, obviously I get these four hours of this sort of topic, uh, including the Greenberg thing. I, I, I've said this so many times. Um, 
when people have asked or on my own podcast, because there's obviously a, a ridiculous amount of attention on, um, on the 6 p.m. Sports Center, and you can probably analyze a million reasons as to why that is. Um, and it's not just because of the race of the host. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's deeper uh, than that. That said, uh, I, I have always contended, and I think, Robert, you and me are sort of here on this, that at that spot, you have no chance in 2017 to improve on what was there before. The, the universe is done. It's changed. We, we, Sports Center, in every time slot, is essentially, in my opinion, a play to try to hold as best you can, or I think, as Eric said, be down, but not be down too much. Because, because the world has changed in terms of under 30-year-olds who don't see SportsCenter the same way we did. It is not destination viewing at all. We get our highlights on our phone. We are aware of incredible things that happen in sports, essentially in real time. And so the whole premise of what SportsCenter was doesn't exist like it did in the past. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be on. It's still a very good show. Right. Uh, still has really smart producers. But the, 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 the concept now, if you're going to go personality-driven, which is what obviously ESPN is all in on, to me is you're just trying to hold as best you can. You try to hold that audience for as long as you can from previous years. So to me, in terms of the ratings element of SD6, I'd say they've been um, – uh, they haven't been a bust. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of give Jamel Hill and Michael Smith like employee of the year at the moment, but, but I would not kill them either. I think they've, generally speaking, done a pretty good job at the moment of holding and not being down too much. The content is such a subjective thing that you can never win. It basically comes down to this. If you are a fan of the sensibilities of, of people like Jamel Hill and Michael Smith in terms of what they like in music, what they like in pop culture, what they like in sports, you are going to like that show. Right. If you are a fan of gambling and bad beats, you are going to like Van Pelt. So, you know, I, I've sort of probably had this sort of talk with Miller and stuff. Like, it, it, it's, it's an impossibility to try to find any homogeneous sports center host anymore that can attract everybody because the country is fragmented in itself. Yep. And so that's the way I'd answer it is just like – I mean, there are things that Jamel and Michael do that I think are really fun and smart. And there are other things I think that just like, it's just, it's totally not of any interest to me in the same way I would say that about Van Pelt and, um, and Kenny Maine. And then finally, and I sort of feel a filibuster here, the 6 PM has its own sort of issues. You know, the Greenberg show is interesting in the sense that that sets up the whole day. They have a lot more to choose from and to play with, in my opinion, because the day has just started and you could take the conversation Anyway, the Hill-Smith one almost has to be a combination of reacting to what has potentially happened during the day, including the conversation of the day, and then what's about to happen heading forward. So they, in terms of ratings, interestingly enough, um, what is coming on after Hill and Smith, a lot of times will dictate if they do good that day. We all know lead-ins dictate a lot of stuff. Yep, but the interesting too. thing about the Hill-Smith, yeah, the lead-out for them is really interesting because if they got a big lead-out at 7 – they should do better. And if they don't do better, then it's on them. Um, so that's always interesting to me in the same way, the reverse is the Van Pelt thing. The Van Pelt show is going to do monster business. If he has a great lead in, if he doesn't have a big lead in, then it's on him. Um, and then finally, and this is, I think the one thing that Miller said on my podcast that really stunned me was he, I think he said he would be, he would not be surprised at all if Hill and Smith were not in that chair one year from today. Yep. He said I said that. to him two years from today, uh, you know, who knows? Two years is a lifetime now in television, but um, he, he seemed to have some kind of insider information, which I thought was interesting. I know that Michael and Jamel have sort of, they're contractually obligated to that spot. And if they blow up that contract, ESPN is going to have to pay a lot of money. Um, so I, I, I'm not questioning what, who Miller has talked to or what he knows, but, if you ask me right now, make the big bet one year from today, you know, whatever, July 21st, 2018, or Jamel Hill and Michael Smith still the anchors of that show, I would still bet pretty big. Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the most helpful things I've learned uh, since doing the podcast actually came from Orand when we were talking about, uh, you know, how people reacted to uh, NFL ratings uh, with regard to Kaepernick. And, uh, you know, what he told me was, you know, you could you can dismiss the idea 
that uh, Kaepernick had any impact on the ratings because the data clearly shows that it didn't. But you can't dismiss the idea that there are a lot of people who are bothered by it. And I guess I just, you know, I agree. Uh, and, and I agree with that, too. But now, you know, so when I first heard, heard what Miller, what, what Miller said on your podcast, I thought, oh, no, no way. How can anyone at, at, at ESPN be saying that? You know, the ratings are fine. But and uh, thinking about it from those terms, I, you know, I, I, I am now accepting that, uh, that, you know, there, there might be and maybe probably are some, some execs at, at, at ESPN who aren't happy with the content, which is a well, here, here's the, here, I was just going to say that. Her. I was just going to. You go ahead, Richard. I mean, I, I totally see. I, I'm used to hosting, so I totally screwed your flow up there, Robert. I apologize. <laughs> I should just um, let you, you know what. Have, Next time I have you on my podcast, I'll let you host it. I think it'll work better. Eric, Eric, <laughs> Eric, screw it. Eric should host. Um, the only thing I was going to say to that was that the what's interesting about all this discussion, and uh, you know, John and I have talked about this a lot. I'll be curious to get Eric's take. Again, he doesn't cover the space every single day. Is that um, a lot of pe- there? There is something to the idea of how people react to what ESPN personalities say on their social media feed. Right. Eric, uh, Jamel Hill in particular is very progressive, in my opinion, in terms of her politics on her social media feed. Same with uh, Bomani Jones, Pablo Latour. Probably people say that about me. Yep. Although mine is really, I think, more catered, catered towards uh, disliking the current president rather than maybe pro- uh, a progressive, but whatever. That said, the, the, it, it, that does not necessarily mean that you are – going to cancel your ESPN subscription because of that. What is interesting and what would be worth looking into is if you disagree with somebody saying something on social media, even though they never talk about this on air, I mean, Jamel Hill and Michael Smith's show is not a political show. People who think it is, that's just untrue. It is not correct. But because you see this stuff on social media, would that potentially cost them some audience particularly those who are, might be conservative, because they're seeing that on social media. In the reverse, I guess you could say, does it gain them some audience if people are looking at their social media feed thinking, oh, I, I identify with these kind of politics and I'm going to turn into this show because I want to see that. Right. The interesting thing is so much of ESPN on air is not political, even though a lot of the personalities are political on social media. And that like sort of discussion is fascinating to me, because I would love to know, metric, you know, ESPN claims metric-wise, people are not finding them or faulting them about politics. But you hear so many people, including and particularly at uh, ESPN's competitors, say they're being punished because of how their personalities feel. So that whole discussion is always interesting to me. Yeah, it's fascinating to me too. So, so, and and Eric, I know you you don't cover all that stuff every day, but I am interested to hear your thoughts on it. Well, I. I, I... Personally, um, I always liked Michael and Jamel on the His and Hers yep. show and uh, His and Hers podcast. And I think, you know, w- one thing is, you know, certain people, you know, have made the, you know, are, are, are great on TV. Some, some people aren't. I think Bill Simmons is, is a fantastic um, podcaster. And, um, he got, he, he, and he made his bones as a writer. But I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that controversial to say, I don't think he ever lit up the screen on TV, you know, no matter what the format was, whether it was on the, the countdown or his talk shows or the Grandland basketball hour or whatever, for whatever reason, it just didn't come across. So I think what's, what's positive and hopeful for Michael and Jamal is just that, you know, they, they had great chemistry, I think, and, and it was really uh, great uh, TV viewing on his and hers. I, I personally like, you know, ha- haven't liked the new SC6 as much. Maybe it's the big set. Maybe it's the bringing on guests, like you know, whoever Isaiah Thomas walks out and has a little segment with them that, you know, or or getting off into uh, pop culture a little bit too much or something like that. Or, but I think there's there's you know, if I if I was Connor Shell, I'm I'm sure they'd they'd be thinking, you know, these hosts are you know, in my view, infinitely more appealing than the milk toast um, interchangeable hosts that you've typically seen on ESPN news over the years hosting their sports center with no personality. So I think there's something to work, work with there. Um, I I think the more interesting kind of, you know, uh, question about the shows at ESPN, and this relates to Connor Shell's promotion and job is, is that, um, you know, what other new shows can, could they develop? I mean, PTI, Around the Horn 
are a bit long in the tooth. You know, um, you know they're going to continue to have Stephen A. Smith yelling at people. You know, as long as they can and as long as it drives numbers, they're going to continue to have Sports Center. But uh, they're going to continue to push thirty for thirty. But you know, what else can Ken Connor and the team there develop? That's you know maybe the you know the PTI for the for the next fifteen years. Uh, that's that's kind of new and different and, and sets the table. I mean, I think there's a there's an existential question that faces. ESPN, especially if they're going to be outsourcing things like intentional talk to MLB, or you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me down the road if they outsource some 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 of their shows to NFL Network or um, NBA TV as part of these you know expensive rights deals, and they're looking to cut internal costs. But when you do that, I mean, people are going to wonder like, well, what what what's the what am I really getting with ESPN other than just them being a middleman for sports rights? You know, what's their identity? So I think there's got to be something. New and fresh. Maybe it'll be Pablo Torre, uh, you know. But I think there's got to be something, something that's a little bit different from from the last 15 years of of um, first take and and PTI around the horn. Yep, I, I agree. It'll be interesting to to see how all that develops. Okay, okay. St- sticking with you with you, Eric, for now. Uh, just just in very general terms, what do you see the FS1 landscape looking like? You know, three years three years from now. Uh, you know, assume. Assume that like all the current contracts will be expiring, and uh, what what do you what do you what do you think the network looks like in uh, twenty twenty? I think it's a nuclear wasteland. Uh, I'm not hopeful at all for them. I I think they, you know, they are not in the driver's seats to win any attractive sports rights in the future. I think uh, ESPN, if they want to keep stuff, they will keep it. Um, you know, you'll have the digital players that'll come in um, that'll probably be willing to pay just as much as Fox would. Um, so, assuming they just sort of continue on with college football and baseball, uh, the age of baseball viewers is just going up. Um, I think they will, you know, despite what Shanks, uh, you know, his protestations over these last couple of weeks, as soon as they can get rid of, you know, some of the more expensive contracts. Um, you know, I, th- I think they will. You know, maybe I think Cowherd could be an exception to that. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Bayless is gone, Whitlock is gone. Um, you know, the other cast of characters, Broussard and and, and so forth. So I, I don't think they have an identity. Um, they tried the hot takes, and now they're not they're not going to do that. For, I, I would suspect two years out, um, and they're not. You know, it doesn't look anyway like they're going to do anything innovative with the Katie Nolan or someone else like that. So. Uh, I, I think it's, they're in a real tough spot. Wow! So that that was uh, that was bleaker than I than I anticipated. I anticipated bleak, but th- that that's a little bleaker. R- Richard, how do you see it? Uh, that was interesting to listen to, actually, just from uh, you know, given all the people I talked to and at Eric's take. Um, I think one you have to separate Fox Sports from FS1. I would not be nearly as bleak on Fox Sports as I would be on FS1, given that I think Fox Sports. Uh, will always have quality and premium rights. I think their production um, at the highest levels of their production is quality. You know, they take some gruff and deservedly so for golf, but their A-level production on football, their a- especially in baseball, their A-level production, uh, college football is very good. Yeah. FS1 stands for one thing right now editorially. It stands for noise. That's it. That's the strategy. Um, I've seen and read all of Jamie Horowitz's charts. They're very pretty. He talked a very good game. But eventually, what, what, what is that? You, you were able to make headway from what was previously there. And what was previously there, to be very honest with you, the three of us could do this podcast and get pretty close in terms of the numbers. So you would expect to get for it to go up. But right now, what is, what, is the, what is the message into the marketplace about what FS1 is to consumers? It's a bunch of dudes basically taking up everything and take as in hot, as in, as in a take, not, not taking as in like, grabbing the thing. So that, that's what the network stands for right now. It stands for these guys who come on essentially every day and find topics in which to um, yell, argue, at times scream about. And it just becomes one endless 12-hour cycle of noise. That, to me, was always going to be a long-term strategy to fail and a short-term strategy to get a little bit of pop. And I give the FS1 people credit. They got some pops. They pushed the numbers to the right media people who were going to run them, and they pushed it to the marketplace. But, um, again, if I'm an advertiser, what on earth am I buying into on that network? And 
That's where I think Eric Shanks is in trouble in that you have these contracts that exist that you are locked into for a couple of years. So you have to sort of stay the course with Bayless and, and, um, and Rob Parker, you know, Chris Carter and the rest and Ray Lewis and the rest of these guys. But eventually those contracts are going to run out. As Eric said, you're not going to re up most of them with the exception. I think of coward who does give you a lot of innings and does radio stuff. And you're eventually going to be at a point where you are either going to be forced to spend a ton of money to try to come up with a new editorial strategy or just be a watered down version of like the lowest common denominator of ESPN's talk show. So I think the network, as Eric said, is in serious editorial trouble. I don't know the numbers well enough to make money with uh, Undisputed pulling in 125 or 130 uh, K of viewers. Maybe they can. I guess you get a presenting sponsor. Um, you know, you have programming and you need programming, and maybe you can make a little bit of money. But again, it just, and I realize, you know, I am product of where I work, who I am, the city I live in and was raised in. But to go to the marketplace with like Rob Parker and Skip Bayless, like yelling about LeBron James or Colin Kaepernick, just it seems just inconceivable for what should be the number two biggest all sports network in the country with oodles and oodles of capital and resources. I'm actually stunned. I'm still stunned that Shanks bought into the Horowitz vision. And I'm even more surprised now that they are, they are where they are, which is in a box and that they have to hope that the Bayless types can just incrementally get viewers. But I think Robert, you study this as much as anyone. There's just not enough viewers for that to happen. They they swiped all their viewers from ESPN. There's no more coming. And, and that's where they stand now. I, I think there's one other thing I'd like to add to that, Richard, is, is the, the Fox uh, Sports website. It, it's just totally unusable. I mean, it, perfect, I, perfect, I, I, perfect I, answer. I mean, I went, I went there for the first time uh, last week when, you know, or when, whenever the news broke that they were laying off the, the pivot to video thing, you know, and I, I, I was shocked because what I saw was a sort of like a watered down version of YouTube. Um, I, I, I couldn't find any scores. I couldn't find any schedule. Uh, you know, if I went there to kind of figure out what was, you know, what was happening in sports, forget it. It was just, it was all promotional clips for their shows. And I, I don't know, like, what the latest, you know, ratings are for them from from uh, Comscore uh, in the sports vertical. But I know they've been dropping, and I, I got to believe uh, they will continue to plummet. And so that's why I, I was I was staggered at that uh, podcast that Simmons did with um, Jim Miller and. Um, Brian Curtis a week ago or so where you know to hear him tell it you would think that ESPN digital um, because he kind of interchanged between referring to their website and their app uh, was you'd, you'd think that thing was was in the toilet and you know he was right. talking, talking about Bleacher Report is three or four years ahead of them and they're thinking and all this stuff yet you know ESPN you know, it, it, it just works if, if you want to figure out what's going on in sports and that's certainly not something you can say about uh, Fox Sports, and so for them to just kind of cast that off and really kind of hope to kind of maintain, I guess you know credibility uh, from an overall sports fans perspective. I mean, I I, I think that's going to really hurt them in the long run as well. It's great. The only thing I want to add, Robert, is because Eric really hits on this. Is um, and listen, I, I'm going to be blunt with your audience. SI went into partnership with Fox Sports Digital. I mean, I, I I'm still shaking my head at that. I understand theoretically why it might have been potentially a good deal by just, you know, combining the two entities and getting a lot of traffic. But man, my God, look at what Fox Sports Digital is now. I, I shake my head at that. But here's the thing, and this is why this is, like, important. And I heard Simmons just talk. I think he was way too hard on Fox, on uh, ESPN Digital and, quite frankly, incorrect. But what, and that's not to take anything away from Bleacher Report, who is really, really smart about uh, digital, particularly social digital. But um, ESPN's investment in digital is, is big and only growing. But here's the thing with FoxSports.com, which is inconceivable to, me, inconceivable to me in 2017. Forget about the fact that they laid off their people, which is pretty disgusting, to be honest. How on earth, in 2017, is that your digital product when the people that you need to eventually watch FS1 and Fox long-term are now 15, 20, 25-year-old people? And how do they sort of – how do they consume sports in this landscape? On their phone, on their computers – via the web. So that is like the digital offering that you are 
are, are giving to that marketplace, which, as Eric said, is essentially repackaged old tapes. Like if you went to that website at 2.30 um, uh, yesterday, was it, when was the OJ hearing? Tuesday? Yesterday. Right? Yeah. If, you went to that, if you went to that website like a half hour after or an hour after the OJ hearing, you weren't getting any kind of um, uh, content on that. You were probably getting whatever the Bayless show like talked about in the morning, and I'm right. sure the Bayless show talked about LeBron James going to the Lakers. I mean, just we live in a 24 We live in a real-time news cycle. You're competing against everybody in that news cycle, both locally and nationally, and that's why I, I see that website, and it's, I, I mean, it's just, again, it's just, it's like befuddle, it's, it's not, it's not even like a bad strategy. It's, it's a no strategy. And it's incredible that they do that in 2017 because they have the resources compared to most other places. They print cash and they have just punted on digital after I think getting pretty much hoodwinked into this strategy of let's repackage all our incredible personalities. And there's going to be millions of people who go because they want to see Rob Parker's take on Mike Trout. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's not even, what, what's a word beyond comical? Because that's the word. Uh, Eric, what's a word beyond comical? How's that, how's that for you, Robert? <laughs> Leak, is that bleak enough for you? I feel like Eric and I have given you enough bleak. Okay, so, so wow. You know, you, usually I'm the, I feel like I'm, I'm usually the dark cloud, but uh, here I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to come down in the middle. So I, I, I think, uh, first of all, I think they could unwind all those contracts sooner if they wanted to and just write them down. So if they decide six months from now they want to make a clean start, uh, you know, that won't be the end of the world for them to uh, to write all that stuff down. Uh, I do kind of agree with you both, uh, particularly on the uh, on the website, at least as it's, it's currently uh, being run, that the edit from an editorial perspective, both the, the website and, and FS1, I can definitely see them as uh, as an editorial wasteland. But uh, I'm just kind of looking at it from from the perspective of with all the leverage that Fox, Big Fox Sports has, um, you know, could 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 they acquire enough rights to to put stuff on FS1, you know, to to move from a dollar twenty one to you know two bucks a month over the next couple of years, or excuse me, over the next five years, and and I I think I think it's possible. So and that and you know if they can raise their affiliate fee, you know by you know, by 80 cents or so over the next five years, that's a pretty big deal for them. Assuming that, uh, that the household levels don't plummet down to, uh, down to zero. Uh, so I'm not quite as bleak as you two. Richard, we got some great live sound. Uh, Eric, were you walking around <laughs> outside not, as well? <laughs> no, that, that wasn't, that wasn't me. That's it, all, it, it's the all snow Richard. was just falling here in quiet, quiet Canada. So, you know, we, yeah, we that was live from any, Manhattan. That was, uh, that was live from Manhattan. Now you got a little live from Manhattan. I, I you know, I, I like the sound, but, but there, there, there was a lot of it for this, for this podcast. So, so uh, I'm going to ask both of you this. I haven't asked this question before. So, so Richard, who's someone I haven't had on my podcast that you want me to have that you think I should have? Well, no more ESPN PR people, my God. Just because I don't want to see you get complaints from uh, from um, so many who don't like when that happens. Um, you know, I think ideally, I, I would love to have, I would love to hear some exec like programming people in the space um, come on because they don't really do a lot of long form interviews. It's very niche, obviously, and very sort of inside baseball, sports business, Kelly type. But you know, I would love to hear from programmers who like program. ESPN college football offerings or the people who um, who look at um, uh, Fox Sports 1's college basketball for the year and sort of figure out, okay, what, how many games do we have and what's our inventory and, um, and how do we make that work? I, I feel like, um, you know, and obviously I do a lot of this, there's enough places where you hear personalities in the space, whether that's writers or radio people or television people, but I am fascinated and always fascinated by behind the scenes people. And quite frankly, I think it's interesting to interview PR people. You, you may get call, called off, you know, you're going to get criticism like, Oh, you're just shilling for whatever network. But like, if you get a PR person in a long form interview, they're probably going to reveal something behind the scenes about PR. And that to me is a value to your listeners, especially those who are really interested in kind of inside sports media. Um, and then finally, I think agents, are never really um, on podcasts who represent people in the sports media. That would be fascinating as well. Now, they're probably going to spin you and not be 100% truthful. But, again, 
within that interview, you'll probably get some interesting stuff. That that is that is great feedback. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Eric. And I'll let me disclaim that uh, that I kind of know the the type of things that you that you're interested in, and I'm trying to make sure that at least one out of every three of the podcast uh, fits fits that bill. But I, I am interested to hear who you think I should have on. I was just going to say, I think sometimes that what's missing from the sports media podcast is the um, uh, or the views of of Wall Street, and so. You know, I, I think uh, you know someone like Rich Greenfield is a—he's a provocative voice in the space, very bearish on Disney and ESPN. Um, but that that guy, that kind of uh, view is sometimes interesting, especially when it's uh, when it's challenged uh, on here. So you know, I, I, and I think it'd be interesting to kind of get some more voices from that world. I, I agree. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but uh, 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 other people do. Uh, I do have the, 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 the dream of having you and Rich BTIG, Rich Greenfield, on, uh, on the podcast together. Because while, while Rich is publicly bearish with all of his hashtags and whatnot, anytime I've actually read his, his in-depth an- analysis or notes, he, he actually kind of views it the same way as you, that ESPN is going to be a fine company down to about 50 million, you know, 50 million households. And so the, uh, the spin on Twitter, uh, you know, when, when largely I think he sees the world very similar to the way you see the world is, is pretty interesting to me. So I hope, that, I hope to have him on someday, and if I can pull it off, have him on with you so you guys could both talk about uh, He's a good guy, but he, he, he loves uh, – he, he, knows, he knows how to uh, manufacture interest in this social media age for sure. <laughs> I, I agree. He is, he is, a, uh, he is a, uh, a LeVar Ball for the uh, Wall Street set. <laughs> And I and I mean that with as 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 high praise, truly. Okay, got <laughs> R- Richard, Eric. Thank you both for joining. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking to you guys. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks for the invite. Thanks. We'll do it again. I hope. Yeah. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, that was great. Thanks again to Richard and Eric. You can find uh, Richard on Twitter at Richard Deitch. And uh, his podcast is, of course, the SI Media Podcast. And uh, you can find Eric on Twitter at Eric Jackson. That's E-R-I-C-J-A-C-K-S-O-N. And uh, his podcast is the Eric Jackson Podcast. Uh, My scheduling process has gone completely off the rails. And uh, I'm evaluating how to get it back on track. Uh, So I'm not sure who the next guest is yet. Uh, but there will be one. And in the meantime, you can listen to past podcasts, which include NBC Sports Bay Area's Ahmed Farid, Around the Horn producer Aaron Solomon, and uh, advertising agent Anthony Krupe. Uh You can find all the past episodes on SportsTVRatings.com or on Apple Podcasts and Google Play by searching for at SportsTVRatings. Alexa. Play the Eric Jackson podcast on TuneIn. Getting the latest episode of the Eric Jackson podcast. Here it is from TuneIn. Wow, Alexa loves Eric Jackson.